Welcome to the Leading by History podcast, where we take our listeners on a journey, walking and talking our way through history to delve into some of the deepest thoughts, concepts, ideas, issues, and challenges. We know you're going to enjoy your time with us. Come along for the journey, Leading by History. We look forward to getting to know you better. Welcome back to another episode of the Leading by History podcast. I'm your host, Masiyahu Raul, and it's a pleasure to be back again in this season four. I mean, we've been around for a while now, and it seems like only yesterday that it was around 2016, 2017, and friends of mine had said, you should start a podcast. And I said, I think y'all are being a little wild. You know how much it takes to do a podcast, to edit a podcast. And uh, here we are four seasons later. So, so glad all of you who stuck with us since the very beginning, those of you who sent in feedback and, you know, made requests and told us things you wanted to hear about, those of you who download us and, and you have, you know, an alarm set for every time a new episode drops, we thank you for that. Those of you who give monetary supports towards the podcast to be able to upgrade and, you know, do the things that we do, we appreciate you here at Leading by History. So, Today on this episode, I'm excited because we have Mo with us today from What We Watch, and she's going to be with us on Leading by History, and we're going to talk today about movie review, you know, the process of, of doing a movie review, uh, movie critique, and actually take a look at some clips and have some discussion. So I'm excited to introduce and have Monique with us today. Welcome, Mo. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. This is going to be very exciting. And like you said, we're going to talk everything film and TV, which is what I do. So Yes, yes. So before we get into the thick of things in today's session and episode, mm-hmm. tell us first about your origin, your personal story, and how you entered this field, because you were telling me when we spoke about your former life, if you will. And uh, it's, it's pretty amazing the leap that you took to, to come into a new space. And, you know, let's, let's let the audience know why I have you on today and why they're listening to this discussion. Tell us a little bit about you. Absolutely. Very excited. Audience, I am formerly an engineering professional of about 11 years or so. I'm not going to tell you my age, but I should give you a little bit of a background. So just to follow my journey, I found a place of stagnation in the work and I loved my time as an engineer. I really did. But I just found myself in a place of like stagnation. And then that eventually got into like legit unhappiness. I think I just was no longer being challenged. I was Mm. no longer feeling inspired, really. Mm. So it wasn't that I hated what I was doing. I just knew that there was something else out there for me. And it happened to be film and TV. I went and watched uh, the movie Parasite by Bong Joon-ho in 2019. Best movie ever. That's literally the reason why I'm here. Mm. So that's my little personal kind of... uh, feelings there that's why i'm here in los angeles now i moved from dallas texas now i live in los angeles Mm. write film tv shows mostly right now but i also write my own movies and i work as a screenwriter and i host a show called what we watch on twitter every single wednesday and that's where you and i met so it was Mm. amazing you know we talked about matrix resurrections at one of my favorite spaces ever absolutely incredible discussion so Mm. I've been trying to transition my like mastery and dedication to being an engineer, which is that there is a lot of writing and technical writing and contract management and thing and transferable skills, if you will. But I'm learning a new language. I'm learning how to take that with me, the, the essential pieces and really kind of up my creative process into this new world. So, yeah. mm. so you got a degree and what was the degree in? 
civil and environmental engineering from UT Austin. Wow. Okay. So, so this is pretty amazing. So you hail from Texas in general? For the most part. Yeah. Okay. So like hometown. From Panama. Uh, Panama. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. A Texas girl through and through hundred percent. Okay. So, I mean, that's a pretty major leap to go from, from Texas, right. And to, to go all the way from Texas to LA. You know, it's like, that's, that's pretty amazing. And, you know, I had a young lady on the show, uh, Deja, with her company, Deja's Views, and she took that leap to actually leave the 90s in Brooklyn. Everybody knows that hood from Bobby Schmurda and all of those folks are from that same neighborhood. And she left the 90s in Brooklyn and moved to Ghana and opened up a food truck and restaurant there. Um, I mean, you have to have a level of bravery, a level of courage to just pick up your life and say, I'm going to go do something completely different because I'm feeling that I could be more fulfilled with following this thing. It's sort of nagging at me that I need to, to explore. And you hit it properly. There's, there's two things I tell people. First of all, there's a very, very thin line between being silly or stupid and being brave and courageous. Mm-hmm. I really believe that as, as, you know, speaking for myself, but There comes a point where every single day you wake up and you're not thinking about work. And it it started off very light. Sometimes I would wake up dreading work, but I would be excited about it in some aspects. But then I lost all interest. And like you said, that passion kind of burns very hot. And even at my job, people were recognizing that I just wasn't as involved and detailed and it's a no, it's a noticeable difference. And yeah, so anyone that's listening, I really think if you're awake, I was waking up every day thinking about movies that I would, I could write. I was waking up every day with a scene that I would write down, mm. a romantic scene, a horror scene. I, every single day I was waking up and there was no engineering anything on my brain, just movies mm. and in scenes and sound and what I'd watched the other day that influenced what I'm going to want to write about in the future. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, I, you know, I think that these are important journeys when you're willing to put your money where your mouth is and take the leap, right? Then we know that there's something there that's that's moving us to, to explore that space uh, to find success. So now you get to LA, how do you start the process? Like you show up and say, hey, civil engineer in the house looking for some opportunities to, to do some movie mingling. How does it look when you first arrive in, in L.A.? And was it extremely different from what was going on in Texas? When you find out, you let me know, because I'm still trying to figure it out, to be honest. It's been absolutely amazing. I don't have the formula. I'm still figuring it out. Mm. But I will say that things are working out pretty swimmingly. I moved here in July, the beginning of July, right after my birthday. And four days later, I was uh, staffed in a writing room to write some TV shows for a production company. So mm. again, I just, right before I had moved, I was in the middle of moving. I was, my house was boxed up and I was interviewing for you know, the position as a staff writer. And it was just amazing. I, again, I really just put my money where my mouth is, I guess. And I just committed to my love. And I keep talking about my writing, but my love really was founded in enjoying film and TV, which is why what we watch, which was how you found me in our Twitter spaces that started on Clubhouse as well. I've been doing what we watch for over a year now, just a little bit over a year. And I was just stuck in the pandemic. And so the really cool thing about film and TV is there's an approach to watching it, film and TV, that helps you have additional perspectives on life. So it's not just that I enjoy film and TV. I found it to be beneficial. I found it making me more empathetic. I found it making me more well-rounded. I found it giving me better language to speak to people that may not look like me. I found it Mm. easier to speak to people that did look like me, you know? And so it it really kind of just removes my bias. And I really started to have like this creative artistic eye about things. And it may sound weird and kooky, but it's really eye-opening and it really kind of settles me into humanity. And you can do that through the film and TV because it's not just film and TV. There are real people writing these stories that you're watching on screen. Mm. So it's, it's amazing how all those contributions affect and impact us. And I know we're gonna talk about that later. So. So when we talk about 
you know, we'll, we'll get into this uh, before our break, but I want to talk about this emphasis on key elements of movie review. You know, we've all heard those who are of my generation of Siskel and Ebert, right? Siskel and Ebert, they, those were like the two dudes that started this whole process of, you know, reviewing movies, giving critiques, saying where things were great, where things were horrible, and they give the thumbs up, you know, or the thumbs down. And then later, when the internet stuff starts bustling, you know, this Rotten Tomatoes piece comes out. And, you know, people today will run to Rotten Tomatoes to get that quick review, that quick spoiler. And I remember when that was first coming out. So what are the key elements of movie review? And how in the world do you relate to Siskel and Ebert? Or is that no relationship to you and your generation? Do you even know who they are? You know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so let's talk about that. I, I do know who they are. I was in one of my spaces and my friend said, you're like a super hot and fun Roger Ebert. And I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> you know, key elements of movie review. It's interesting. I was thinking about that. And I think what's important is to understand first, like, like I just said, understanding that this is an artist's work. And I, I reference Oscar Wilde in a lot of my review of art. And so, and what he talks about a lot in his books from the early or late 1800s is appreciating beauty and having this, the first look that you take at something is to appreciate the art and the beauty and what the story is. And so I think key elements of movie review don't require this like in-depth understanding of film knowledge, but that, that can be helpful. But again, just acknowledging that the person is an artist, acknowledging where this story fits in the world because it is a story. I think I've been, I, I talk to people that look at movies very casually and they're like, this is a movie, it's not real. Mm. And it's like, sure, but it's coming from a real person. And it's coming from real stories that have been collectively created to put this story on screen. So there is a reality to it. Mm -hmm. And I think the other additional requirement in movies is a layered viewpoint. And I think so a lot of us are inherently have more layered viewpoints of life. I think my only issue with like, obviously Siskel and Ebert are obviously going to provide a very no, uh, knowledgeable and popular foundation, but I think they had a homogenous approach to film and they were very binary, right? It was like a plus sign or, or it was a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Mm -hmm. And I approach it a little bit differently I thumbs up some things in the movie and I thumbs down some things in the movie. Some like Parasite, it's everything thumbs up, sound, score, acting, performance, lines, writing, everything is perfect. So I think um, this, um, the, the layered viewpoint, I mean, is that if you read movies from directors that are men, they have different stories to tell than directors that are women and they find different elements to highlight. And so you are a black person, you have a specific layered viewpoint to address some things that may happen in a film that two white men may not be able to do if I'm allowed mm -hmm. to talk about that. Right. Yeah, indeed. Mm -hmm. So sorry, go ahead. No, it's all good. No, you, you can indeed talk about that. We get into all <laughs> the ideas of, of race and, you okay. know, class and, and status and, you know, all of that. So that's, that's what we do here. So you can oh, get into all of that. Right. And so I want to be sure that two white men looking at a movie like Malcolm X that came out in 1992. Mm -hmm. They're going one to of my favorites, one of my top hands down favorite movies Amazing. of all time. Go ahead. Perfect. But imagine hearing the review from them who know a lot about movies and then from someone that has maybe lived in that era or is also a black man or is the friend of someone who was a black man or a black woman that understands what it means to support a black man in his role. Like these layered kind of understanding helps you talk about film more. It helps you talk about film in a better, more broad and involved way in both ways. So mm. I think our commentary is extremely valuable as black people and Latino people like myself to kind of address and, and look through, and especially as a woman too, look through our lenses of film review. And I think with Rotten Tomatoes, me personally, I don't go to Rotten Tomatoes until after I see a movie, but it's mm -hmm. almost kind of like I'm, I'm unable to avoid that. 
because everyone around me is going to Rotten Tomatoes. Like, oh man, there's one rule I have for Rotten Tomatoes that I'll tell everyone. And the only time I think Rotten Tomatoes is something that I'll watch or that I'll care about before a movie. Hopefully I don't ever see it until after, but before is if the audience review is better than the critic review. I really like seeing that kind of review. That matters to me because it does mean that, again, your casual moviegoers or people that are just watching the movie or not as they haven't ever made a film before is basically what I'm saying from person that's made a film, someone who's like just watched a few movies in theaters every now and then. I really like when they're, when the audience review is higher than the critics review, because to me, it speaks to an appreciation of the art inherently. So, yeah. Mm. Now in a previous conversation, you were talking about how black people themselves are inherently layered, right? We have, we have African-Americans, the infamous terms ADOS and FBA, foundational Black Americans, you got all kinds of things. And then you have Afro-Latinos and Latinas. But you mentioned Akil Mbembe, I think. So I think his name is Akil Mbembe, yes. Uh-huh. And you talked about his commentary on layered viewpoints and the world from Black people and why it lends us a better analysis of human interaction. I think that's heavy. I want to explore that just for a few minutes. Yeah, I was actually talking to my friend about it because I sent a I sent an excerpt of the book I was reading to my friend and it's called The uh, the Critique of Black Theory. I think it's what it's called. I'm sorry, I should have that right on the podcast. My apologies. But it's by Akilane Bembe. And there's also a beautiful writing, scholarly writing that he has regarding, that they have regarding on the post-colony. And I'm not done with the readings yet, but so far what I'm learning is that there are stories to be told from Black people through their lens that will always tell a more complete story than any white person could ever tell you. And history and creation of film, which is obviously always going to include our history, right, how we consume media to this day, there's a responsibility that Black people have knowing our history, knowing what we've been through, that really drives that really kind of supports and has a, a, a deeper foundation in how we look at things. I always want, if I'm watching a film, a white man can tell me certain things about it, right? But a black man that maybe has lived a life or been closer to it or a black woman or, you know, any a black Latina, there's going to be these a, a additional layered viewpoints that are going to give you a better lens into what you're seeing. You're going to notice things and appreciate more things and even be mindful of bias or more problems, right? Because again, since we are so layered, we understand and we have a better view for a lot of issues that occur or things that were left out or parts of stories that weren't told, right? What do we always say? The history is always told from the victorious standpoint. And no, you need to hear about the person that didn't win. You need to hear from them. You need to hear about the person that's still struggling because of the results of whatever occurred to really understand how layered this story might be. And so Akile Mbembe talks a lot about that. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to to pull that up for the audience to see for those watching the uh, the vidcast. So when we talk about that, it reminds me of a discussion that I had with Dr. Claudrina Harold. I think in season three, if I'm not mistaken, she talked about, uh, and she's the chair of the history department at UVA, and she talked about we were talking about the importance of black scholarship and Africana studies, and she was saying that black studies is it's a part of the humanities that has the power to give perspective and lens to all oppressed people because black people in this country and black people in this world have been under oppression for hundreds of years black studies has always been about elevating the voices of those who are marginalized and it doesn't matter the color even though it's black studies or africana studies right but you get the view of people around the world because it's a work of the people and for the people. And I think this is what Mbembe is saying here is that when you bring Black folk onto the screen, into the mix, you're immediately going to see a wider variety of experience. You're going to experience a a wider form of uh, uh, empathy and emotion because Black folk are representing on their backs, proverbially, the oppression of marginalized people. So it's almost like 
Black people are so special that we have such a level of compassion that even though we're the ones being oppressed, we will still stand up for the underdog, if you will, from any class. I mean, you see every time that a black man is murdered in the streets, you see his family coming on television and saying, we forgive them. We forgive them. We want peace. We don't want people killing in the name of our son or in the name of our daughter. We want peace. We forgive. I mean, that's a capacity in Black people, and that has to be recognized, right? And that's what resonated with me from your comment on Mbembe's work, you know, that this these layered viewpoints of the world come to us when we bring Black people into theater, into entertainment, into um, the visual arts. And I think the pandemic has helped that quite a bit too. And again, while we're praising the understanding and the lens of a Black person, or like you said, any oppressed or marginalized group, I think I also just want to reiterate that that inherently acknowledges and affirms that if you aren't, you have a limited understanding. No matter how much you study or how much you are around or immersed in the culture or around Black people, Latinos or other marginalized groups, you are inherently limited to in, in, your, in your assessments of any under, or in consumption of any entertainment because it's less about, are you a good person? Do you have as much compassion? More it's about, you've never had to because you've been in the position of power to never have to exercise those muscles of, hey, what about this person? Or, hey, what about if I look at it from this point? Hey, what did the underdog feel? Those people like that have never had to do it. Whereas, you know, you and I, Black people, Latinos, women, other marginalized groups, we've had to do that. So inherently, we have a better understanding and a significantly more thorough approach to movie film review and critique i mean it's just it's just it is what it is like yeah. so yeah yeah without question so before we we break i want to just briefly talk about some of your top movies like <laughs> if if you were brought on uh, a wider platform where millions of people could see you as opposed to several thousand right here at Leading by History, we, we're glad to say we have several thousand. But if you were on this national platform with millions, international platform with millions, what would be maybe your top two films that you would want to discuss live on air and, and have a discussion with, with the larger world? What would be two films that are just up there for you? Well, I automatically, I already brought it up. I'd have to say Parasite. Okay. I've, I'm not here talking to you about statics and thermodynamics. I'm here talking to you about movies. Mm -hmm. And quick tidbit, the reason why that movie changed me so much is kind of lends to what I was saying earlier. But I watched the theater. I watched the movie in a theater with maybe 215 other people from all different demographics and backgrounds. And I do mean everybody. There were teenagers, there were older people, there were people in the middle, in between, Black, white, you know, some Korean people. Like the, it, the demographic was very mixed in this theater. And I'm telling you, in this small little theater, when we walked out, all of us were stunned. And I think it is the most powerful thing you could ever do for a, a South Korean film director to make this movie and have all of us from completely different backgrounds over here in the United States feel just incredibly moved. I think there's nothing more powerful than telling a story like that. So much so that a black Panamanian woman from Texas in Dallas watched the movie and picked up her entire very lucrative and stable life to just go and write movies. Mm. So Parasite without a doubt. Number two, I don't, that's, I don't know what number two is yet because it depends on my mood. I love so many movies. I, I can't, I can't go down to, and I have a recency bias that I feel like will come in. I, mm. uh, you'd have to give me some time on that. I might have to just answer that. Right? <laughs> it, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. I might have to come back. Yeah. So, so Parasite, you know, just, just quickly, what, what was the premise of, of this film? I can't remember whether I've seen it or not. Oh. Is it a horror film or? Yes. It's okay. A, uh, it's, it's, it's horror and it, yeah, definitely. It's thriller in a way. It is a beautiful, and this is going to sound maybe kind of boring at first, but I mean, it is the most beautiful and capt uh, uh, captivating story. It's a look at how capitalism mm. and, you know, 
It's, it's a look at how capitalism affects two different families, a very rich family and a very poor family. And it looks at class and it looks at obviously money and it looks at how everything in the world is different and it allows you to decide who, how, and when is the villain. How is the villain? Mm. Are you the villain? It is absolutely gorgeous and i mean the director uses some beautiful scenes in that film to also show the significant gap with how the best of the best people that have made it to the top of the capitalist regime and how people that are really just trying to make it out here and make sure there's food on the table for their families how those stories can merge and mm. what happens when they do it mm. is beautiful. And again, it, the movie is entirely in Korean. So it's it's so it's 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 subtitled the entire time. And mm. I wonder how much was lost in the translation, but it is perfect. That's what the movie is about. Mm. And just, so spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Right. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't right. want to say anything else. You'll, you'll know it. No, no. I, didn't, I didn't give a spoiler. No, no, no. Very, very good. Just just yeah. uh, just playing around there. Uh, friends of mine, whenever I've got some that are really uh, big into, you know, don't tell me anything. So if you just I, say, hey, you know, there's a, a man and a woman in the film. Well, you've told me too much. <laughs> You're spoiling the film. Like, wait a minute. I just said that there you know was what? a man and a woman in there. What's going right. on? <laughs> no, I mean, I probably didn't tell you more than in the description. Probably the description told you more. The little right. range. And, but I'm with your friends on that. So I love to go into movies blind. I'm telling you, I don't look at the Rotten Tomatoes until after. Mm. I want to form my own opinion. It's so important to me. And that's so interesting because for me, I really don't care. Like I'm the type of person that you can tell me exactly like, at the end he gets killed. And until I see it, it really doesn't mean anything to me because I need to figure out what caused the death and how mm -hmm. and why and the plot twist, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's what's more important to me. So you've got different kinds of folks that are watching film and you've got different kinds of folks that are critiquing film. And so when we come back um, after the break, it should be you know really fun for us to take a look at four films and actually start walking and talking through some of that. So let's go ahead and uh, and take a brief break, and we'll be right back after these announcements. Hey. As a listener to the Leading by History podcast, we want to tell you about some exclusive opportunities available to you as a listener. If you go to patreon.com backslash leading by history today, you'll find that there are three tiers of support that will give you exclusive access to our program. We've got the official patron level, the all access tier, and the highest level, the VIP patron level of support. If you want to find out how you can have exclusive access and have impact on what we offer, go to patreon.com backslash leading by history today. And we're back. We are so thankful for uh, the support of our listeners, and we hope that you continue to enjoy our program for the days, months, years to come. So on the front side of the conversation, we, we talked about several things. We talked about where Mo is from, the journey from being a civil engineer into moving into doing movies and film and writing. And then we start talking about the elements of movie review and critique, tapped into a little bit of uh, Achille and Bimbe and, and Siskel and Ebert and talking about those things. And then just sort of got a little bit of an introduction into one of Mo's favorite films and, and why she enjoyed that film. But now what we want to do in this second half of the program is to actually, you know, I'm going to play a couple clips and let's talk about what it is that we're hearing. Let's talk about the films, right? And we're playing these clips as a matter of public record. 
for the purpose of discussion. So there is no monetary gain from this process. So I just want to go ahead and play a clip. I'm going to start with this first one. I'm not going to tell you which one it is yet, Mo. I'm just going to pull it up and let's jump right into it. that was pretty significant there. So we have a little bit now from that film. Those who are listening, can you guess where that was from? Only human. Can you guess where that was from? Mo, what were we watching? And tell us a little bit about it. One of my favorite films of all time. You know, it's incredible when something that came out, what, 30 years ago? It's pretty at least 25, right? <laughs> well, well, no, it's like it's like 20, let me see, like 21 years ago, something like that. I think uh, yeah, it came 20, out. 28, 29, 27? It was it that long? Okay. No, I think it's been okay. Did it come out in 1999? I, I think can't it remember. was 99. So I think okay, it was well, like, almost like, like 20 years. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, 20-ish years. You was like 30. I was like, wait a minute, 30? <laughs> but but yeah, but 20 <laughs> years ago, 21 years ago. Go ahead. Okay, true. Okay, true mm-hmm. enough. I think that that was listeners and you got some time. That was the matrix. Yes. Matrix, a game changer. The video that we just watched was specifically an iconic scene showing bullet time, which was referenced a lot more in the film later and in a lot of other films and just kind of understanding that. So when we talk about the key elements of movie review, it's understanding the plot, Mm-hmm. which the plot is amazing. I, you know, one of my favorite things to do when I want to understand the plot of a movie, the kind of the work is kind of already done. So little tidbit pro tip, look at the log line of each movie that you watch maybe afterwards. Cause again, sometimes I tell you a little too much, but usually not. They're generally really good at just giving you the understanding of the story. What so is you, the log line just for the listeners? The log line is a short, concise, succinct description of what the movie is about. Okay. I could give you an example in a bit here of like popular movies that probably a lot of people have seen, like Forrest Gump, the log line for Forrest Gump and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Now that you've seen the movie, you could go back, but that's basically what the plot is. Like what, what, this is how you pitch your movie. What's your log line? What is this about? What am I about to read, you know, a hundred pages of, or what I'm about to watch two and a half hours of. And then you got like the theme of the movie, which here the theme is this guy is in whatever, however many worlds, I guess no spoilers. <laughs> Sorry, there's man. No, it's all good. We, we'll, spo- we'll spoil it all. Uh, uh, we'll spoil it all. is literally the name of the movie to me. It's the matrix. It's this, mm-hmm. this idea that like, what, it, what happens to you if you are actually not living what you think you're living, mm-hmm. uh, which again, those inherently layered viewpoints really hit home when you're looking at its perspective from a black person, because that's kind of what we live day to day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're going to look at the acting. And again, these amazing performances from our people, Trinity, our guy, Trinity, our girl, Trinity, and our guy, Neo, mm-hmm. or what's, what's his regular name? I forget his Keanu regular name. Reeves. No, 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 no. I oh. know his name. His Thomas. Is he like Thomas? Uh, uh, yeah, Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson, Thomas Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. So, so you get the acting. So you have these amazing performances in this movie. But then my favorite elements of movie review, now we're actually answering the question because I want to do that with these movies, is like dialogue, which is just speaking to specifically to the writing, which every scene, if you watch this movie, every single scene, almost everything that's said matters eventually in the end. Mm, yes. That's the, that's the key element to a really good movie because mm-hmm. 
we our general like attention spans in a film like we're gonna miss stuff is why i always tell people to watch a second mo- a movie a second time if you enjoy it because no matter what you're gonna catch something that you missed you're gonna be like ah i remember that in the third act oh i remember that and the matrix is perfect for that like every single thing and they kind of walk you through it almost like you're a child and you wouldn't catch it otherwise but i think that's what makes it even more powerful like follow the white rabbit mm-hmm. let's do that and so the dialogue is really important and then of course what the matrix is known for from everyone is like the cinematography and the sound right again mm-hmm. just what we just showed in that clip bullet time that's that's something where okay i'm looking at someone in this virtual different world and time as we understand it is very different and now i have these superpowers that enable me to listen to this guy morpheus trying to save me from what i already don't know i need to be saved from Mm. it's it's incredible culture shift we get it we get why everyone loves the matrix yeah and it came at just the right time because it's like 1999 and everyone's thinking that the world is going to end in 2000 And, you know, I know for myself that when I was a kid, I was watching like X-Men, the cartoon and stuff like that. And what's so crazy is when they'd show a clip of like a tombstone and it would have like the person died in like 2019, you know, uh, the person died or they'd be like in the future, in the year 2020, this is going to happen. And and here I am in the early 90s, late 80s watching this. And I'm like, that just seems like so far away. Like, will we even be alive at that time? And I, I'm, you know, and I went back and saw like a couple episodes of X-Men, the cartoon, and it was just crazy to see like they showed a scene where someone had been killed. It was like five years ago. It was Yeah, it was just like, wait a minute. This five years is ago right crazy. Now. So the Matrix came out at a time where people were already concerned about what the future would hold and what it was going to look like for people in the future. And so this story of AI, right, artificial intelligence uh, yeah. being created by human beings And then them saying, right, as you see in all the movies and Terminator and all of these other films, it's like people create AI to make the world better. But the AI's job is to protect human beings. And the robots in every film like this always recognize that human beings are actually the ones that are the problem. So if you want to actually save the world, you got to get rid of the humans. It's like it's the same theme. And it's so realistic because I think Elon Musk, if I'm not mistaken, said that AI was one of the biggest threats to our future. How ironic. No? It's interesting. I have an, I have something to add on top of that because you're correct about everything. You, I had like five movies that came to mind when you were saying it. But you know what's also interesting about AI is that a lot of it is created by human beings. All of it is. Mm-hmm. And so what people don't understand is like computers aren't as, as far as they are away from a human being. There was the programming done by a human being. And so there is inherent bias taken into account with them, no matter what. Again, a white man creating something is going to create an algorithm with inherent bias there. And we see it, the reason why we know this now is because there's studies where they put AIs on social media and they're just designed to learn. They're just designed to learn. And you'll be amazed at how quickly they learn racism. Yes, They learn it almost immediately. Yes, Um, They learn the, the, the many perversions of humanity. And so it part of, it's part of the programming with the inherent bias, but also just like, like you said, like a lot of the movies, we recognize that human beings are the problem. Right. It's crazy. <laughs> so I, I wanted to add to that. Truly. It's, it's amazing to me how I can program something that supposedly knows nothing. Again, if you look at who was created by, there is inherent bias there, but supposedly knows nothing. And then they learn racism within like a week. I'm like, wow, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's it, it's pretty serious. And I want to show now another clip of another film. And let's uh, let's see if the audience out there can figure out which one this is. Islam are disciplined men. They haven't broken any laws. 
Yeah. What about them? That's your headache, Captain. But if Brother Johnson dies, I pity you. Doctor? He'll live. He's getting the best care we can get. Thank you, Doctor. Surgeon. All right, okay. Now let's disperse this mob. Yes, yes. Another powerful film with a powerful scene. What movie was this audience? Do you know? This is, again, probably number one and number two top favorite films of all time for me. What were we watching, Mo? We were watching Malcolm X, Mm -hmm. 1992, by the glorious Spike (laughs) I, I just, I I get speechless. We are so lucky to experience a mind and a talent like Spike Lee. I, Mm. I just, I can't get over it. One of the key elements of movie review here that stands out is acting. Okay. Everyone acted perfectly. One of my favorite parts of that scene is actually the beat that we get before Denzel smiles at the officer. Mm. Yeah, just that is cinema right there, guys. Mm. That is acting. That's like when you sit with those moments with actors on screen. I'm obsessed with it because you know what's about to happen, but you like you haven't seen it yet, but you know. And he turns around, he puts his hand up. He says nothing. He puts his hand up. There's immediate control. Mm. And again, there was just that juxtaposition of like the cops, which we understand are the chaotic villains and. He's saying it so gently, like, that's your problem. Mm. My people better survive in that hospital, though. Mm-hmm. We're good. You know, we are not here to, and this is, again, this is mimic, again, 1992. We, we're, deal- we're dealing with this today still. Years, mm-hmm. years and decades and decades of this. But I just love that. So the camera shows you almost like the symmetry between like, or the dividing line is symmetrical of like, these are the villains and look how controlled we are, even though we're louder and there's a lot more of us. Look what happens when Denzel just raises his arm and points. Mm-hmm. We'll leave you alone. We're not the villains here. So mm. I, I love it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, th- th- that movie so powerful. One of the things that I say when I look at and, and I'm not a movie critic or reviewer, right? That's not my specialty, but Uh, as a friend of mine said, I dabble. (laughs) And so one of the things that I really appreciate from that film is, and and, and really from both films that we've seen and really all great films, one of the tricks to it is that it follows human themes, these themes of human life that we all can experience or have experienced. That's the power of a great film is that, you know, the person's struggle, their challenge and their victory resonates with you because it, it, it replicates in your mind experiences that you have had. And even if you didn't win the challenge in your experience, there's this catharsis from seeing people on the screen win where you may not have one and feeling as if they want it for you. I mean, it's it's it, it's like watching good times and just seeing why can't James get a break? Why can't the family get out of the projects? And then all of a sudden, you know, Thelma marries the football player and and all of these things. And you're like, it's going to happen. Like you're you're sitting on the edge of your seat and you're like, they're finally going to get out of the projects. They're going to have their head above water. And then all of a sudden, like something happens and, you know, he breaks his leg or whatever. He loses his contract. You're like, oh, 
And then in that final episode, when he finally goes back again after he's healthy and he gets the entire family out and you feel that catharsis, you feel that release at the end, like, wow, we finally made it. And it's like, I wasn't in the projects in Chicago, you know what I mean? But I felt like I was there with them from, from all of the seasons, you know, through Michael getting bullied and from JJ getting stabbed in a street fight. And it's like, you're there with them. And I think that's the power of great film is that it always helps us to connect with real human experience and emotion. Correct. Again, you can't, you can't go to cinema and tell me that, oh, well, you're just into movies which aren't real. No, they're real. And if you sit with any of the artistry in, in these movies, you're going to feel what they feel. These actors are artists as well. And these themes and these ideas of compassion, they're introduced to you. You know, if you've ever watched a movie and afterwards you're like looking up a story that was told and how true was it and what did the person actually say there, especially with like biopics and stuff. So movies are real. That might be my like new thing. They're very real. They're real stories. Obviously there's adjustments and limitations because it's a finite story and you only got two to three hours, but that's the power of film. Now I've got you in a room, maybe in a theater, room by yourself now that we're all at home because of the pandemic, or I have you in a theater feeling whatever I want you to feel, or really whatever you want to take away from what you're seeing on screen. And if that's not real, then I don't know what is. Mm. So let's go ahead. We've got, as we're coming down uh, to, the, to the last you know, uh, quarter of the show, I want to show two more. So these, the first two were my choices, and then you had two picks as well. So mm -hmm. let's go ahead and take a look at another of, of the films, one which was your pick. We're just going to play a short excerpt. Yeah. You know what is going on around us? It should make everyone angry. Huh? You know, you bourgeois Negroes, you're too happy uh, with your scraps. To really understand what is at stake here. Malcolm is really in this space feeling urgent that where we are as a people, we don't have time to joke around or, or take life lightly. And he feels that Sam has not been using his voice the way he should be. They all have strong voices, but Sam has the furthest reach. And that is why, Brother Sam, this, this movement that we are in is called a struggle because we are fighting for our lives. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, let's let's talk about that. That little clip right there with, uh, well, audience, can you figure out which one that was? I guess the voice of the narrator for that explanation gave it away. What, what were we watching, Mo? One Night in Miami, mm -hmm. Regina the King's directorial debut. If you haven't seen this movie, it's her feature film directorial debut. You have to watch this movie. The title tells you everything. Again, I could One Night in Miami. It is a fictional or, you know, not entirely fictional, but it's a fictional account on what might have happened sometime in February of 1964 when Malcolm X Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke may or may not have been in the same area. Uh, apparently they might have been in Miami. And the power of this film for me is one, it's directed by a woman. You know, I can't be on your show without, you know, upping uh, women, female directors and, and, and filmmakers and writers, but also Black women specifically. So please support Regina King. It's beautiful. One of the almost perfect formulas for making a beautiful film to me is getting people to sit in a room and talk. And again, if you get that right, people will remember these scenes. People will sit in those scenes. They'll forget that they're not in the room with the actors. And this entire movie is about one night. So that's already a parameter. And then for the most part, they're in a hotel and it's just these four black men talking. That's literally what this entire movie is. And it is incredibly moving. I think it was, I was hoping you played this one next. It's a perfect segue from what we were talking about with Malcolm X. And that scene actually that you guys heard listeners, that was Malcolm X played by someone else, obviously speaking to Muhammad and Jim Brown and Sam Cooke about 
you know, his viewpoints and his, the space that he takes up as a black man, as opposed to how they might take up their space a little differently. And again, just four black men in a hotel room talking about being a black man and how and what it looks like and what's empowering to them. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, when I first heard about the film and that it was shot, all of it, just about, <laughs> it was like an hour and some change in a hotel room with dudes talking. I was like, okay, let's, um, let's see how she pulls this one off, you know, but she didn't know she did an excellent job. And uh, I think I saw that Jim Brown actually visited the hotel room where this was to have taken place and verified that, you know, there was a meeting there of those minds. Um, you can't talk about more prolific figures in sports, music, and in civil rights than, than, than talking about Malcolm, uh, Muhammad, Sam, and, and Jim. Um, these these gentlemen were were mountains uh, during this this time period in the 1960s, and many black people and and even non black people looked up to them greatly. So to to think about what Regina had to do to hold our attention for that period of time, it it makes me think about Castaway, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know where it's like. How do you have this monologue going on for minutes and minutes and minutes of a dude talking to a volleyball? And how do you make that meaningful? And it was done. It's like, I've watched that film a couple of times. I never fast forward that part when he's, he's talking to Wilson. It's like, it's, it's meaningful. And again, it deals with the human condition. It puts you there to say, if I were trapped on this island and all I had was a, was a, a volleyball or whatever the case, what would I do in this instance? And that's the, the, a power again of great film. And so Regina does the same thing where she transports us into the hotel room. She transports us, uh, uh, you know, onto the, the, the roof of the building and she makes us uh, the fifth person in part of the conversation. And, you know, thinking about what she had to come up with you know, as far as historicity, the truth of, of the things that could have been said, that means she had to tap into the mind of Malcolm, the mind of Muhammad, the mind of Sam and the mind of Jim. She had to know something about each one of these men to actually think about what a conversation would be like uh, when they all got together and to make it as truthful as possible, even though it's like um, a fictional historical account. And at the same time, make you want to think about what would your response be and how did you feel about each man after they were so transparent, right? And, and I found myself feeling a little differently about Malcolm X just from the way he was portrayed in the film um, and, and then feeling something of the same towards Sam Cooke from seeing his perspective. Very well done, though not rooted specifically in any kind of historical narrative, but the events and the people were the inspiration. And I think that the film is just a, a, a great film. Beautiful, absolutely. Okay, so we have one more and let's check this one out. Uh, as you know, the show is rated F for families. So I think that I have gotten this clip cleared and My we hope we don't have to edit the podcast. But this this uh, this movie's a little tough. I think I have it cleared up. So let's go ahead and let's get this uh, right now. Perfect. Five hundred is up for grabs, and the last thing they'd expect is y'all riding back in there and getting it. What's the deal? You tell us who they are, and we turn you loose. I can tell you who they are. Give me a pistol, one of them horses, and five hundred dollars of that eleven thousand five hundred. Now I point them out to you. It's a real handbill. Now just because it's a real handbill doesn't mean that other bunch of malarkey is. Now why would a slave have a wanted dead or alive handbill in his pocket? Did that black ride into Candyland yesterday? All right. I'm gonna ask you again. I want you to remember I don't like liars. 
Is he a Candyland slave, or did he ride in with a white man on a horse yesterday? Yeah. They walked us from the Greenville auction, and he rode in on a horse with a white man. Now, this white man was a blackhead slave. He wasn't no slave. Ah, I was able to get it. Yeah, I was I was like <laughs> right 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 before they but right before they went there. So audience, can you figure out what you were just hearing? What film was this? What were we watching, Mo? Django Unchained. Mm. Talk Jamie to us Fox, about you were listening to Jamie Foxx, Django Unchained. Quentin Tarantino uh, might be one of my favorite directors. Again, I'm thinking cinematography, the way he chooses his actors for his films. That's my thing. That clip, why well, I really like that clip, we couldn't have shown my favorite clip because it was a little inappropriate. But what I really like that clip is we're sitting with Django, a black man bargaining with two white men. And the decision made for the camera was to spin around them three. And I think, again, film pulls you into the scene every time. And so when you see a black man bargaining and trying to figure out what he is, you can think about that theme or, or level of understanding and apply it to anything that you've got going on in your life. There's been times where you knew that you were going to be beneficial to someone and you had to try to play and understand what you could get back from that, for that to be a symbiotic relationship, for both of you to benefit, for you not to be used in a certain way. And we do it with salary negotiations up to this day, as far as, uh, as we are Black people that are, that are significantly underpaid for the same roles as a woman on top of that. And so I love that scene that he like chose to spin the camera around. And instead of, because he could have gone from the face of Jamie Foxx to the face and just had the shots like that, but he spun around to show like, this is actually kind of a dizzying and unstable moment but we're going to highlight how Jamie Foxx is going to run this bargain and see how he's going to trick these people or how he's going to share what information and what he requires back. And then we cut to the, the folks on the truck and they're again corroborating what was said by Django already and they're trying to see what information they could get from them. And I just love this movie because Quentin Tarantino is also going to let you sit with characters in a room. He did it with The Hateful Eight, he did it with a lot. Quentin Tarantino is gonna let you sit with characters in a room. And Django is a story about slavery, but it's a story is so much more, it's about a slave, but it's about so much more than that. And I think it's interesting to see a non-Black person write a film like this and it still be so great, but choosing the proper characters and the right, right actors for these characters matters. And making sure that you're studying properly what this film is supposed to be about. But again, I also have to tell everyone and stick to what I was saying. There's an inherent limitation and bias associated with a white man writing that movie. It is great, though. I love that movie. Mm -hmm. well. And and so as we clarify, you, you've heard Mo say that several times. We don't want anybody to take that in the in the wrong way way you have to know if you're if you've never listened to this podcast and you need to go back and listen to all our podcasts on race and lost cause narrative and all of that stuff but the bottom line is again that when you are in a position of power in a society and you may say well i'm not personally in power well you may not personally be in power but you represent that power structure you resemble that power structure and you benefit from that power structure if your range of access to information and people and relationship is limited then so will be your view right and so what we're saying is that through the black experience right Black folk ran away from enslavement and hooked up with indigenous people, Native Americans. Black people uh, fought for and protected uh, groups like the Seminole and others and were protected by them as well. Black folk fought side by side with poor whites. I mean, John Brown had black men that were a part of, of, of what he did uh, in, in Harper's Ferry. So in other words, black people, because of their peculiar experience in this country are bringing to the table a wide range of empathies, emotions, and experiences uh, that other folk who have not had that ex experience based upon a century of abuses, they just won't have that. 
And so that's that's the clarity, right? And and it's pretty it's pretty cut and dry. And, and I think the responsibility that you have in the position of power, and I love the way you said it, or if you represent that position of power, all the responsibility that you have, it's not, it's not a, it's not a attack or anything, but the responsibility that you have is to listen and integrate the viewpoints of the marginalized groups that we're talking about, the oppressed, you know, groups. And you need to have integrated those experiences and those comment that additional commentary to really make sure that your project or your your whatever you're doing with your life, if you're writing a movie or if you're starting a business, include those because they should be integral into you understanding and growing and creating whatever art that you have. It's, it's essential mm-hmm. to include those stories, lift those voices. And if you refuse to include those voices and lift those voices, then we got you. <laughs> what we said is what we've said anyway. So, you know, be the uh, the difference and, and, and not the norm. And, and I was always taught to be the change that I want to see. Mm-hmm. So, Mo, as we're down here to the, the last minutes of the show, uh, I've had a good time uh, going through these movies with you, uh, trading some discussion back and forth and and getting your view and perspective and you hipping us to, you know, those elements of movies that we should pay attention to and what movies we should pay attention to. It's, it's been fun. As we end our shows, we always have a charge to the audience, something that our guests give to the audience to think about that they can do with what they've heard and what they've seen today, right? So, you know, it's not like, oh, I heard this great podcast. It was sort of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was this lady on, you know, talking with the, the dude that runs the show and, and, and it was great. And then they forget about it, right? The mm-hmm. charge is how do you take what you've heard and what you've seen today and make the world a better place in some way? What would be your charge with regard to film, you know, with regard to the way that we you know, look at movies or we engage with movies or anything that was a part of your discussion today, what would be a charge you would give to our audience to walk away with? Definitely. I, th- I think I said it in the beginning, but when you're watching film and TV, open your mind. I think a lot of people that have joined my spaces on Twitter, um, hashtag what we watch, they walk away and they're like, huh, I have additional perspectives that I would have never considered. And you get that when you Because film, I think when I say the word film, you're thinking Hollywood, you're thinking the white actors that we all know and love and enjoy on a lot of our movies, you're thinking of the black actors maybe, but also step outside of that. Think, watch more women directors in their films, just type in on Google, Uh, watch more foreign films because they also have a beautiful way of telling stories that's much different from our limited point of view as Americans as well. And so I think understand that film and consuming film and TV those emotions that they elicit from you and the ideas and, and, and they can just give you a different real world perspective and they can broaden and enlighten you in many different ways. So watch my other pillar that I tell everyone in all of our spaces I have to sit on the podcast, a little challenge to leave you with. Every movie is a romance movie. I do mean every single one. This is my little movement here and I'll just share it with you guys. I name a movie and if I've seen it, I'll tell you how pivotal and crucial romance was in the plot of the story and how it drove how some of the actors and the cinematography was done. Every single one, every single movie. Mm. And the other way I can say it is try to write a movie without any romance in it. And romance isn't just, again, the heterosexual, a man and a woman. Romance is an element that's included in friendships and everything. So Mm -hmm. I think uh, you definitely... Yeah, that's that's kind of what I got to say. And watch Parasite. And so how can people uh, log in? And 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 let me say this as we close out. You know, I, I found you in the Twitter spaces when I saw the title Matrix and there was a discussion about Matrix mm-hmm. 4. And so uh, that's been a discussion with me and my friends for the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, was about that film because we were really hard body Matrix fans of one and two. We split hairs on three 
and uh, four, you know, we were just like, let's talk about it. So when I saw that, you know, I was, I attempted to experiment with spaces myself, but it's not my lane. So every now and then I'll see folks like Dr. Christopher Emden and other folks that I am familiar with their work do spaces. And when I saw Matrix 4, I said, let me plug in and let me hear what the discussion is that's going to be taking place. It was a really good discussion. People really were thoughtful and really thoughtful in what they were talking about. So how do folks tap in with what we watch, tap in with your platform, and uh, how are they able to contact you? These kind of conversations are why what we watch was created. I tell people I'm not necessarily an expert. I may know more than you about some things and you'll know more than me about other things. And, you know, I said that in the space as well, but I create spaces for this empathetic and kind and understanding and very intelligent and in-depth discussions about different aspects of film and TV. A lot of our, the hottest shows that are out or the hottest movies that are out, or if it's not even a hot movie, but it's a movie we're all watching. So if you follow me on Twitter at Miss Peacherino, that's M-S Peach and then E-R-I-N-O, my little Italian self, um, Peacherino actually, clue you in here too. Peacherino means well-liked and very popular. It's an old English uh, term. But Miss Featurino, and you can also follow What We Watch Film TV. So that's actually WWW Film TV. Both of those accounts on Twitter will get you tapped in to listen to um, conversations very similar to this podcast and a, a range of other ones as well. And on Facebook, it's also facebook.com slash WWW Film TV. And really to really get like all up in what we've got going on and really connect with all of the viewers, the listeners and your fellow moviegoers. And even some, again, I have some great screenwriters and film directors in the network as well. And wonderful podcasters, of course. Go to whatwewatch.net. And that is spelled how it sounds, exactly how it is. It's whatwewatch.net. That's my landing page. And just type in your name and your email and you'll get my newsletter every single Wednesday and you'll get to keep up with what's hot in film and TV, what we're talking about over that week, what we're talking about over the next few weeks. Like, for instance, I'll have the link for podcasts in the newsletter as well. So it's really a collaborative uh, space where I let people from all over the world, all over the country and from different kind of backgrounds provide perspectives. I think what I loved most about the Matrix Room, again, I regret not recording it, biggest mistake of my life. It was beautiful, it was perfect. And what was perfect about it was that we had all kind of arrived at how we felt about the movie, but that space gave way to the journey that we all got, how we all got there. So we had the same destination, all of us had essentially the same destination, but we all had different perspectives and different things driving our experiences and our historical understanding to get to that. And that's what, what we watch is about. So. Well, we thank you for being with us today and it's been a great conversation. And from those of us at leading by history, we say peace. Thank you for tuning in to the leading by history podcast. Yet again, we appreciate your support. And as always, never take what you hear on face value, but always go and investigate the sources. Look, until we get together again on another episode, we want you to stay safe and we say to you, peace.